Folks, if you have a copy of God's Word on your electronic device or printed, however it may be, I encourage you to open a copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, and then I will draw your attention to verse 11 as our first passage of focus this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. While you are turning there and finding your place for our first text this morning, I've entitled our next study in this series, this mini-series really, A Biblical View of Time. You will remember that in our Renew series, we've been looking at a number of important topics in life. This is not an exhaustive list of topics, but some important, life-changing, everyday living realities in life. And through this, we always, 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 always turn to God's Word for the foundation. No matter how much you can argue, no matter how well you can speak, no matter what experience and education you have, if it isn't founded on God's Word and the truth of God's Word, that's not where we rest. That's not where the argument stands. And so we turn to God's Word as always, and we allow the Word of God to renew our thinking, to transform our lives so that we love and honor God in every area of our life. And so this morning we look at the topic of a biblical view of time. Let's consider time this morning. I know there's probably several of you that golf. Maybe some of you, I don't know, are golfers. I've golfed a number of times in my life. I am not a golfer, although I don't have anything against the sport. My dad is much better at that than I am. I think there's some people that think that all pastors golf. I don't. I invest in brass and lead, and I like to shoot things. That's kind of my targets and whatnot. I like to do other things outside, but golfing's okay. Golfing's fun, and I have a great amount of respect for those of you that, that are good at golfing. There's a lot of skills. There's a lot to that. I was reminded recently of the U.S. golfer George Archer. It's been some time since his name has probably been most familiar to the golfing community, but he had a successful career in the PGA Tour. He won 13 tournaments, That's something to be commented on, including the 1969 Masters. So some of you that golf know this already. But as he drew closer to retiring from the sport, he wasn't exactly sure how to spend his time. What do I do in retirement? Retirement's coming, what do I do? Well. One reporter rightly and pointedly asked what he would do during his retirement, to which Archer replied this way, well, baseball players quit playing and they take up golf. Basketball players, they quit and take up, you guessed it, golf. Football players quit and take up golf, right? And so Archer said this, what are we supposed to do when we quit? Everybody else takes up golf, but what are we supposed to do? Have you ever considered that reality? What do I do when I retire? What do I do when I'm suddenly presented with more time? What do I do with my time? What do I schedule? What do I take up? Well, in a society that views time management as squeezing more activities into the day, Christians, church, we need to turn to God's word to see what God does 
not, to see that God does not require busyness alone or as a priority. Rather, God requires His godly, eternal, biblical priorities to be fulfilled. That's what God calls us to fill our time with, His priorities, what's important to Him. So you're in Romans chapter 13, and now point your attention to verse 11. Are you there? Do you have that in front of you? If not, you can follow along in the words on the screen, but I'd like us to read together this passage in unison out loud together. Sometimes it helps us think and be plugged in a little bit more. So let's read Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 before we go to prayer. Are you ready? And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. It is truth. It is unchanging. Lord, it lasts. And so we need to constantly be reminded as Christians that it is your word we turn to for truth. It is your word we turn to for guidance in this world. It is your word that is our foundation. And so we need to have our minds renewed. We need to be refreshed. We need to be reminded of what your truth is, what your perspective, what your purpose is in all areas of our life, particularly this morning as we ponder the reality of time. So, Lord, thank you for not being silent on us. Guide our hearts. Help us to be submissive to what you have for us. And in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. This morning you'll see as a sort of the big idea. We have all sorts of fancy terms, us preacher people, guys, as we preach for what this statement would be. And this is kind of like encapsulating everything that I'm trying to put together and point to you from Scripture this morning. So here's your big idea, and that is God wants you and me to develop a biblical view of time. Simple enough, right? That's our goal this morning. This is what I want to walk you through and help you to see in God's Word from these select important passages of Scripture. God wants you to develop a biblical view of time. In order to do that, in order to get there most efficiently and effectively, it is helpful, I believe, for us to ask several questions. So two questions first before we get to point one, two, and three, all right? So kind of a systematic presentation. Two questions to ask. And the first is, what is time? Will you ponder that? Think about that for a minute. Maybe some of you have got a response right now, all right? But just let me lead us through this reality and let me remind you of what you may already know and maybe what you'll learn this morning. What is time? It's important to consider that question. Dictionaries. Did you know this? If you opened up Merriam-Webster's dictionaries or any other dictionaries as well, you will find quickly that dictionaries struggle to agree on defining what time is. I challenge you to look at that. There's actually a struggle in defining time. But most dictionaries agree time is measured in duration. A duration of time, a segment of time, is what the majority of dictionaries will agree on. There are two concepts of time that we should consider. Two separate concepts. Because they represent two emphases of time that we find in the New Testament. In God's word to us, New Testament particularly. So first, there is time as 
measured segments, okay? This is what the general consensus of dictionaries define it as. Measured segments, that's the first concept of time. You could sum it up as length, length of time, okay? And so in this view, this measured segments or length, in this view, time is limited and it is a decreasing resource, a commodity that must be used before we run out of it. That's what this view points, it, points to when we consider time. So when time is viewed as a measured segment, the length of time is most important when considered in light of that view. That view places the emphasis of time on the, um, the length of it. That's the first. The second is time can be significant events. Time could be explained and defined and viewed as from one event to the next event. Not so much a measured length, but rather content. Okay, time referring to content. And so in this view, time is an event. Often something to be shared with or invested in others. We use the term often, we'll say things like, I really look forward to spending some quality time with my friends. We're referencing in the space and length, we're referencing a, 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 the content, the value of that time spent with those friends, or whatever it may be. And so when time is viewed as significant events, the, rather than the length being the focus, the content becomes most important. Those are two views of time, two different views of defining, and two different emphases focusing on time. And both of those views of time can be found in the Bible. Both of those views are found in the Scriptures. Two different words are translated as time in the New Testament. Let me show you those two words quickly, too, that will help us. The first word is chronos, or chronos, however you want to pronounce it. That's where it's familiar to us mostly. We get chronology, and and this is the word we get here from. So that's the first word we would find, chronos. It's focused more on the measured segments of time. While the second word, kairos, in the Greek, both in the original language Greek, as we find in the New Testament, kairos focuses more on the, you guessed it, the character or the opportunity or the content of that time. Kronos, focusing on the segment of time. Kairos, focusing on the character or the opportunity of the season, a critical junction in someone's life or existence. Kronos marks quantity. Kairos marks quality. Quantity and quality. Two different words in the original language, two different words found in the New Testament. God's word is not silent on time, but it's helpful for us to strike a proper balance when we find the word time in the New Testament. And it helps us as Christians develop a biblical view on time as we deal with it and exist in it, so to speak. There are two passages that use the two words side by side. 
and they show their contrast. Let me point those out really quickly for you. In Acts, you can note this down, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, you see the first description where both Kairos and Kronos are both used in this very same passage side by side. Those of us that study God's word and dig into some of the languages and want to seek the understanding, every one of us love passages like this because there's a sharp contrast there in the usage of these words. So let me point it out to you. Firstly, we find in Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, when the disciples asked Jesus, if you were about to restore the kingdom of Israel, remember they were getting ahead of Jesus and his plan, they were excited, Jesus had come and the Messiah, and they said, are you about to restore this? And Jesus responded to them. He replied that it was not for them to know either the times or the seasons. The two words side by side. The Father had put into his own hands. We find that in Acts 1-7. And then the other passage is when the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1. We see him right there. And Paul told the Thessalonians he did not need to write them about the times or the seasons, both words again there, for he had personally spoken to them about such matters. So these passages help us understand there are two different uses of times in the Scripture, in the New Testament particularly. And so since both concepts of time can be found in the New Testament, a proper balance of the two will make the Christian both efficient in his or her use of time and also appreciative for God's gracious gift of time to us and the events that make up that time. So I told you there were two questions to ask. That was the first. What is time? That was a brief survey and definition of time. The second question will unpack what we'll look at this morning. If I can get the clicker to move. There we go. And that is, what time is it? Well, let me give you a newsflash. It's not lunchtime yet. We've got a little bit of time. So with that little bit of time this morning. If you're really bored, you can just count how many times I say time this morning, right? If that helps you focus on God's word, more power to you, all right? So with the time we have left this morning, now I'm going to shove as many as I can in the message. We're going to ask the question, what time is it, all right? Let's consider further scripture's um, uh, description of the character of the time or the season in which we are living today. So firstly, number one this morning, we need to notice it is the last time. It is, right now, the last time. That's the Bible's answer to our first question. John wrote in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. Would you join me over there? Go over to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 and notice what the apostle wrote in this age, the age of grace, the church age in which we live in. The same time, years later, but the same economy of time that God has for the church in this age. So the apostle writes, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, little children, it is the last time. Aha, there's our word. It is the last time, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Oftentimes when we read Antichrist in Scripture, we jump right to thinking the Antichrist, whereas the Apostle John here is writing of the Antichrist, plurality, those who are against God, those who teach a false doctrine, those who are unregenerate and unsaved. This is the Antichrist, those who are against God that 
John is referring to. So John declared and demonstrated that the last time or hour, speaking of in this passage, the last time had begun early in the present dispensation that he was writing, the same dispensation that we understand that we live in today as Christians, New Testament Christians. Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2 also place the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ in the last days. John understood this. John wrote of this as the Holy Spirit guided and led him to pen the words of God for us to receive. And although it was firstly written to those Christians in John's day, it is also accurately and timely written to us, the church today. We are living in the last time and much closer to its end than when Jesus and John lived on earth. So we can rightly say that although this was written many years ago in 1 John, the time when he's placing an urgency that this is the last time we live in is even far more urgent for us today. It's like when we count the sleeps before Christmas, the sleeps before birthdays in my house with my children. It gets closer and closer, and the urgency builds and builds and builds. Joseph has a watch now. Some of my children have a watch. They're trying to keep track of time. And when we say we are leaving to go do such and such at this time, oh, and they watch. Oh, the hours are counting down. The minutes are counting down. And time has a sense of building urgency as we observe it. And John was writing to Christians, placing urgency, warning them. Wake up, church. We are in the last times. Antichrist has come. The next calendar event to do for God with the church is to rapture the church. And we believe the scriptures teach us that that rapture is imminent. And this is the last time. And that is what is happening next. And there is to be an urgency on our living now in this time. We are living in the last time, and this should give us a sense of urgency. And also, dear Christians, let me encourage you this morning, it should give us a sense of hope. Hope. Hope that will not fail. Hope that will never be displaced or misplaced. Mockers throughout the ages, even today, claim that world history has unfolded in the past without God's intervention. And then they will go on further and say that the same is true in that with the future. That God's intervention, you know, he just, boom, time has existed, boom, we have existed, and we just let time rattle on, the church rattle on, and there's no intervention and no participation, no, no superintending by God, and that is wrong. It is wrong. God's word warns that Judgment will certainly arrive. Being delayed, as Scripture says, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 14, being delayed only by God's long-suffering and desire that all come to repentance. Folks, those of you who are shaking and nervous and angst and worried about the times that we live in, and you're just straught through those things. One 
of the many hopes that Scripture gives us, one of the many hopes concerning the times we live in, is that God is not slack and patient because He has forgotten, but that one of the reasons we see the times continue is that our God is lovingly long-suffering, desiring that men would turn to Him in repentance, desiring that more would be saved. So the passage in 2 Peter also gives much hope Much hope to believers, hope of Christ's coming, hope of God's dealing with rebellion, and hope of new heavens and a new earth covered with righteousness one day. We understand Scripture shows us a number of events that will take place before that will happen, but the anticipation that Scripture gives us provides hope. Any of you order from Amazon, packages on Amazon, when we do that, nobody? Oh, it's only me. All right, so anybody order from Amazon? Okay, good, a couple of you. You know what it's like. I love, those of you know that, I enjoy getting packages in the mail. It's just a weird sort of thing with me. I'm kind of childish that way. There's something about, you could even be ordering, what did we order the other day, honey? We ordered some, uh, you know those little sponges you put on the end of a soap wand to wash dishes with? We ordered some of those. Just a regular day little thing you use in the house. But there, even now, I have a little anticipation stirring inside of me because I know that package is going to be dropped off at my door. There's something exciting about that, really. My kids know they could just put a stick in a box and set it outside the door, and I'm excited. Oh, what's in the box, right? So we order things on Amazon, and they have this wonderful ability, like most places now, to give you a tracking number. Do I ever check the tracking only hourly, right? Ooh, it left this facility. Oh, it's in this state. Oh, it's coming here. Oh, it's getting closer. And then the day happens when I get an email alerted on my phone, and there's a picture of the package outside my front door. Yee-hee, right? I don't say that, but that's what my heart is inside. I try to keep my composure as being a grown man these days. But the same is true in a sense for God's Word. Let me, let me try and connect the parallel I'm making here. God's Word is giving us updates. God's Word is giving us announcements about package delivery. God's Word is shouting to us and declaring to us, look, people, wake up, church. God is returning. His Son is returning. The church will be raptured. The times are growing close. It's, it's, the time is running out. Time is of the essence. Wake up, church. These are the alerts that we're receiving from God's Word. And so the Apostle John is writing in 1 John, first, or 2 Peter, as we just noted, in 2 Peter 3, 3 through 14, as well as the other apostles throughout the New Testament are alerting us to the Lord is soon recom- coming. These are the last times. Oh, what hope and what joy there is in these things. Peter went on to conclude in that passage, 2 Peter 3.14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace. Wow, in these times, peace? Yes, commanded, available, able, peace. Without spot, righteous, living in holiness, and blameless. These are the activities we're called to be found in, among others, throughout Scripture. 
Oh, there's much hope. Oh, there's much joy. Church, a biblical view of the last time we live in should create urgency and should foster hope. That's a biblical view of the time we live in. So what time is it? It is the last time. But we also consider what time is it answering a question this way. Scripture says, when we ask that question, it is time for holiness, church. We desire to see holiness in the world today, but the command is for the church to be holy. All are called to repent, but our focus is on we are to live holy. We are the bride of Christ. We are expected to be without spot. It is time for holiness. The last couple of nights over the last few weeks, I've been so exhausted when I go to bed at night. My wife could attest to this you know, you get this way too. Sometimes there's health things, there's other busyness, and man, we ought to go to bed tired. We should fill our days with doing what God would have us do and work hard and be tired and ready to sleep. And as I lay there in my own bed these last few nights, last couple weeks with some things going on in life that are a little more busy than usual, it's like no sooner do I lay my head on my pillow and I'm... You know, like when the wife is talking to you, the wife, my wife is speaking to me, right? And pretty soon it's just, and I'm off. Are you still awake? What what would you say? You know, it's just like that lately. I don't know. Maybe it's just getting older or the busyness of the times. You, You can relate, I'm certain, men and women, how exhausted we get. You know, think of physical weariness, how it weighs heavy upon us when we've been made to be awake for a long time. Our blessed mothers get this better than any of us, waking up and caring for children at the wee hours of night. Some of you that have worked night shifts and work overnight, how difficult it is to stay awake. You know, likewise, in a similar way, spiritual weariness seems to overcome many when they have been Christians for a long time. Christian, are you that way this morning? Are there maybe some of you that have known Christ as your personal Savior for years? But your living through life for years has tempted you or allowed you to become weary? You know, maybe that's your heart this morning where, you know what, Pastor, I love the Lord. I'm a born-again Christian, but I'm just tired. Tired. Living for the Lord in this world. Seeing the evil around me, I'm tired. I'm tired. You know, in one way, the Apostle Paul is writing to all Christians of all ages, and he's calling you, tired Christians, he's calling me, he's calling you children, this now is the time for holy living. There's no vacation, there's no break in Christianity from holiness. So Paul calls Christians to awake, to awake out of sleep because we know the time or season that realization of our full salvation with Christ in heaven is nearer than than when we first believed. That's not a confusing indication that those who claim to be saved are not fully saved will be fully saved later on. Once saved, always saved in the moment of 
repentance and full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One time only, in that moment of time, saved, forever saved, completely saved. Then, I believe what the Apostle Paul is speaking of in chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, is this reality of seeing the completion, the end of that, that final glory in heaven, that salvation. Others and commentaries would point out to that time that he's speaking of is the rapture of the church. When born-again believers are taken up to be with the Lord in the air. Look at that passage, will you, with me? Let me read through several verses. Romans 13, beginning at 11. I'll reread 11, then we'll go through 14. Listen to this. Here's the call. Here's your alarm clock this morning, folks. This is the call to wake up, church. Paul says, and that knowing the time. That And that knowing is, is, is if you could say, because of all these things. Because of all the things I've said from um, the, the previous chapters, chapter 11, all the way up through 13 through 10, because of all these things, because you know these things to be true, that now is a high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us, therefore, cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. This is the call to awake. To rise out of that weary slumber that oftentimes spiritual weariness can bring about. We must immediately cast off the works of darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter also urges this in uh, uh, 1 Peter. Come over there and let me show you a passage. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Later in the uh, or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1 initially. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter urges believers to respect God and to be holy in all areas of life in obedience as obedient children to Him. And God tells exactly how to properly use the time, that's the duration of time, that chrono, chronos. God tells us exactly how to use this time of our sojourning here in earth. Christian, do I need to remind you? May, may I just remind you this morning that this world, this world is temporal. It is passing. It is fleeting. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims in this land. It is not our home. It is, it is not going to be made heaven on earth. That is for the Lord to do. We are passing through and we are called to obedience now. And here is some specific detail on that for our time, our duration in this earth. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13 and through 17. Just follow along as I read here. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts your ignorance, in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That's to say conduct, the way we live. 
verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. That's a healthy fear of God. Notice what we are to be fearful of. Not this world, not this culture, not politics, not life around us, not relationships, not evil. But fear of God is to be our focus. Fear of God that drives us to love Him, love His people, and live as He calls us to live. Later in the very same epistle, I have Bible still open to 1 Peter. But later in the same epistle, Peter returns to the subject of our lifetime, and that is the duration again, the the chronos of our lifetime, that duration. He recalls the ways we used time before we were redeemed. That's a helpful contrast. When we tell a child, you need to behave, you need to do good, don't do wrong, all right? I'll be back to check on you an hour. That is not often the best instruction for a young child. Oftentimes, the best instruction is you need to be good, which means you don't do A, B, and C. You do this, not this. We have a comparison now. Aha, I don't do these things. These are bad. These are naughty. But I do do these things. And so Peter gives us that contrast. So you're still in 1 Peter, but this time look at chapter 4. And here's a contrast, adults, for all of us to consider. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, is a reality and reminding us of, hey, remember how we used to walk before we were born again? That's what we don't do. Identify it, mark it, divorce it, put it away. So here's a reminder, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. For as much then as Christ hath suffered with the same mind, for he hath suffered in the flesh and hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, Lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Verse 5, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For, For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. You see the contrast there in lives that we have been saved from and are now called to? In total contrast, we should now, Christians, we should now, church, live the rest of our time doing the will of God. Maybe it'd be wonderful. I don't know if that golfer was a believer or not, Archer, but what an opportunity when someone speaks that way for us as a Christian to say, you know, I'm not certain what you desire to do with your time, just to play off that illustration. But maybe our response would be, I, I, I know what my God wants me to do with my time. 
And maybe you don't have that detail. You can't spell out exactly what job and where you live and what house and what you do and what you don't do, what hobbies to do and not to do. But we do know that we are called to bring glory to God in everything we do. And that time is of the essence and it is fleeting. And it doesn't mean finding identity with more things even when they're good in and of themselves, but making sure that our time is well spent fulfilling and working towards the goals and purposes that God clearly points out in His Word. Church, a biblical view of the last time we live in should motivate us to live each day in holiness according to the will of God. That is the will of God for me. And it is the will of God for you to live in holiness. Lastly, picking up steam here a little bit more, picking up speed, we see to answer the question, what time is it? The Bible answers it this way. It is the time for opportunity. Sounds kind of like a, uh, a motivational speech, doesn't it, right? Now is the time for opportunity. Get on board for 1995. You can, no. The Bible's not selling you something that will not last, but the Bible does call us to, this is the time to make most of the opportunity to use the gift of time that God gives us for His glory. So, two particular New Testament passages instruct us to redeem the time. You're familiar with that language in Scripture, are you not? To redeem the time. What does redeem mean? Redeem means to buy back something, to purchase something back. To, so when we go around and we tell somebody, you know, like when we put our name on something, we deem it as ours. So if we have something that we deemed as ours, I have dibs on this sort of a thing, then it's taken away, but then we get the opportunity to take it back. That is redeeming. We have been redeemed by Christ and salvation. Amen? And the Bible calls us to redeem the time. Colossians chapter 4 is the first New Testament passage of two. Colossians 4, 5 says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. The Colossians the people there in Colossae, were being instructed by God through the apostle to be discerning, one has said. I think his name is McConnell. In his book, The Gift of Time, says this, to be discerning, perspective of the opportunities, and to have appropriate fitting explanations of their faith. This is a passage for apologists, not for managers. This is the idea of defending and be able to explain and be able to, to tell others, I'm redeeming the time because fill in the blank. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16 is probably the more familiar text in the New Testament speaking of redeeming the time. Ephesians 5.16 says this, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What drives us to be more urgent in buying back, taking back that time and taking advantage of that time, the reality that we live in evil days. Wow. That revolutionizes our thinking about the times we live in. It ought to impact us as Christians. So we see the evil days. What does it tell us? It tells us to redeem the time. 
We see the evil days. How should we respond? Redeeming the time and God's purposes and will for our lives. That's exactly what God's word is telling us here. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. So the context of Ephesians 5.16 also calls for wisdom, discernment. But here it does not refer to so much to uh, 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 presenting Christ as to keeping alert against the inroads of evil from contact with the world. McConnell also said, so here, is, here, as in Colossians, the emphasis is on discerning priorities in our lives. We're constantly faced with those decisions, priorities. You say, no, I'm not. I say, yes, you are. You say, no, you're not. And I say, yes, you are. You stop and eat eventually, don't you? Priority! <laughs> my stomach and my son Jacob's stomach speak very loudly to us when we are hungry. We love to eat. We make priority decisions in our life all of the time. The light turns red in the intersection. Do you have to stop? Well, it's a very strong recommendation. The law says yes, and physics tell you it's in your and everybody else's in the intersection. Best interest for you to stop and not proceed. Can you go through anyway? You can. You shouldn't. Please don't do that but you make decisions about priorities in life. Shall I get there anyway and proceed, or shall I stop? Note the priority for life says to stop. We make decisions and concerning priorities all the time. And I think sometimes as Christians, we may tend to see God as saying something like, be more efficient. Do more things. Do things better. Be more organized. Do things faster. However, the word time, as I defined it, and we saw the original language explains the two different types of time in Scripture. The word time in these two verses, in Ephesians and in Colossians, is the kairos kind of time. Why is it important for us to define that word? Well, here's it's all going to come together for us. Because we understand what kairos points to, that's the quality, not so much the quantity, remember? Like the chronos is quantity, kairos is quality, here's where it comes together. The mean is that of we are to redeem the seasons or buy up the opportunities. It is the time for opportunity now. Quality of the time that we have now. Here we are told, we are, excuse me, we are not told to squeeze more activity into less duration, but rather to seize opportunities for witness and for holy living now. That is what is to fill and to be used with the opportunity of the time that God has given us now. You know, it'd be good to pause and con consider the activities of your day. Do that now. Will you? Let's a little exercise. I'm, I'm actually calling you to daydream for a moment, okay? So engage minds and consider for a moment. Silently, nothing out loud. 
Consider the activities of your general day, the things that go on in your life, the things that fill your time. What activities may you be involved with that are a waste of precious time? See, it's very good for us to do this more than just at the first of the year, resolution time and all those things. It's good to do this not just when you get that brand new calendar. Those of you who are in school, it's good to do more than just when you have to look at your school books and make your schedule and find out when you've got to get things turned in. It's not just on Monday when you plan out your week at work, but it's a daily activity and an exercise we ought to be involved in. By the way, what is a waste of time anyway? Let me, let me offer you a humble definition of a waste of time. Someone has once said this before, a time waster is anything that keeps us from doing what is most important at that very moment. A time waster. What's a waste of time? Anything that keeps us from doing what is most important in that very moment of time. And we've just revisited Scripture, and it has shown us what is the most important things to be doing with the time that God has gifted us with. Church, a biblical view of the last time we live in calls us to buy up opportunities the Lord presents us with. And so in conclusion, without a biblical view of time, we will fail in our stewardship of the gift of time. Can I just boldly tell you that unapologetically this morning, but in love? Christian, church, without a biblical view, God's view of His time, we will fail in our use of the gift of time. And so the urgency is to develop a biblical view of time. And that view, as it develops, works to provide a good stewardship, works to develop good stewardship of God's gift of time. Maybe this week you can work on, in the days ahead, you can work less on saying, my time but reminding yourself it is always God's time. How will we manage? How will we be good stewards of God's time? You know, if we are to be holy, as God calls us to, making the most of every opportunity to serve Christ in these last days, we must evaluate our use of His time. Christians, will you, here's the call, here's the tough call this morning, the call of Scripture and that call to action is, will you give God complete control of the time that you use? The time that we so readily call our time. Will you give God complete control of the time as well as the area, all other areas of your life? Will you revisit that issue? Will you give Him complete control of those things? Will you determine today, Christian, to be a good steward of God's gift of time? If you do, and humbly, boldly ask God for the grace and strength to do that, you will not be misdirected. Dear friend, if you're here today and you hear this and you have not been born again and cannot be considered a child of God, then the single most important use of time for you is to turn to Jesus Christ alone for salvation from your sin. Time is of the essence. 
Will you do that now before time runs out? Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 says the time, that's the kairos, time is fulfilled. Repent. Repent. Now is the time to repent. Those, that word, that kairos, the understanding of that word, Paul understood it, and as he wrote, it empowered him to write this in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. Let's bow our hearts in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for providing us through the Bible your view of time and its proper use. Heavenly Father, please strengthen us and help us as we determine to be good stewards of your gift of time. Lord, thank you for your word which guides us to discern sidetracks, distractions from your goals and purposes in our lives. We understand that there are many things that in and of themselves are good. There are many causes that appeal for our attention in the world that have an appearance of being good. Again, in and of themselves may be good, but Lord, help us to be wise and discerning with renewed minds by your word on what is most important. What is the chief aim in the use of our time. And Lord, as the scripture clearly reveals it to us, may you be glorified through our obedient, humble actions. Heavenly Father, strengthen this church. Help each and every one of us to evaluate our time, our usage of time, even today in this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.